This is Kate Daly from The Kate Daly Show. I wanted to share with you some of the most damning clips to date on this whole COVID-19 2020 and 2021. I'm going to share with you the first clip. This guy asked a lot of questions. Listen to the answers. And does any of this make sense to you? If I get vaccinated, can I stop wearing a mask? CDC answer? Nope. If I get vaccinated, will I be resistant to COVID? CDC answer? Maybe, but probably not. If I get vaccinated, I won't be contagious to others, right? Answer? No, the vaccine does not stop transmission. If I get vaccinated, how long will the vaccine last? CDC answer? No one knows. Why? Because it's still in its experimental phases. If I get vaccinated, can I stop social distancing? No. So then what is the advantage of getting vaccinated? The answer from the CDC? Hoping the virus won't kill you. Question. Are you sure the vaccine won't injure or kill me? CDC answer? No guarantees. Question. If statistically the virus has a 99.97 survival rate, why should I get vaccinated? CDC answer? To protect others. Question. So if I get vaccinated, I can protect everyone around me, right? CDC answer? No. Question. If I experience adverse effects from the vaccine, am I entitled to be compensated by the manufacturer or the government? CDC answer? Absolutely not. You see, the government and the vaccine manufacturers have 100% zero liability. Why? Because according to the CDC, it's an experimental drug. Yep, none of that made sense. Here's a clip from 60 Minutes that played on Halloween night, 2021. This piece is extremely damning. Listen to the last statement. Harari says the countries and companies that control the most data will in the future be the ones that control the world. Today in the world, data is worth much more than money. 10 years ago, you had these big corporations paying billions and billions for WhatsApp, for Instagram, and people wondered, are they crazy? Why do they pay billions to get this application that doesn't produce any money? And the reason why? Because it produced data. And data is the key. The world is increasingly kind of cut up into spheres of, 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 of data collection or data harvesting. Uh, in the Cold War, you had the Iron Curtain. Now you have the Silicon Curtain between the USA and China. And where does the data go? California or does it go to Shenzhen and to Shanghai and to Beijing? Harari is concerned the pandemic has opened the door for more intrusive kinds of data collection, including biometric data. What is biometric data? It's data about what's happening inside my body. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. This next clip comes from Project Veritas. This is a whistleblower. Listen up. Probably uh, being done because the, the government doesn't want to show that the darn vaccine is full of, is full of 
the government doesn't want to show that the vaccine is full of... It's not doing what it, its purpose was. May I see your badges? You're Jody O'Malley with the Department of Health and Human Services. This is a United States government identification. I'm looking at the CDC website. It says that you're required to report adverse events following vaccinations. One of those would be uh, congestive heart failure. That's a huge one. Were there other instances that they, they didn't report? Oh, I've seen dozens of people come in with an adverse react. This is evil at the, the highest level. You have the FDA, you have the CDC that are both supposed to be protecting us. Are the policies and administrators coming directly from the federal government? Yes. You also have to forget this clip from the Pentagon 2005 when they discussed the FunVax putting something in a vaccine for everybody that would get rid of the religious or spiritual gene in the brain that lights up when you pray. They were talking about jihadists at first. I don't know if jihadists are lining up for flu shots in America. What's the name of this proposal? Yeah, so, so the name of this project is FunVax, which is the vaccine for religious fundamentalism. And you have a proposal already? The proposal uh, has just been submitted. But by spreading this, virus, we're going to eliminate individuals from donning on a bomb vest and going into a market and blowing up the market. So our, our hypothesis is that these are fanatical people, uh, that they have overexpression of the VMAT2 gene and that by vaccinating them against this, we'll eliminate this behavior, the least. How would you suggest that this is going to be dispersed? Well, so, so the, the present uh, plan and the tests that we've done so far um, have used uh, uh, respiratory viruses uh, such as flu or, or uh, rhinoviruses, and uh, we believe that that's a satisfactory way to get the exposure of the largest uh, part of the population. Most of us, of course, have, ha have been exposed to both of those viruses. And, and we're, we're quite confident that, that this will be a, a, a very successful uh, approach. Then there's Moderna's Tal Zox. He is the chief uh, director of Moderna, and he's telling us that it is software in this shot. It's the software of life, in fact. He admits it freely. They all do. Here's Moderna's spokesman. This thing called messenger RNA, or mRNA for short, that transmits the critical information from the DNA, our genes, to the protein, which is really the stuff we're all made out of. This is the critical information that determines what a cell will actually do. And so we think of it like an operating system. And it's not just in every cell of our body, it's actually in every cell of every organism alive. It's the same thing. And so if you could actually change that, which we call the software of life, if you could introduce a line of code or change a line of code, uh, you can basically do anything with uh, synthetic uh, RNA, DNA. Um, it's, it's like a computer program. So, I mean, I think with enough, with, with, uh, with effort, that's not too crazy. You could probably stop aging, reverse it if you want. Um, uh, these are, you can basically do anything. You can turn someone into a freaking butterfly if you want with the right DNA sequence. So, and caterpillars do it. This next clip is Dr. Robert Malone, creator of the mRNA vaccine. I, I'm with you, and the big loser is going to be the entire... Here's, as a vaccinologist, here's what I'm going to say. It really pisses me off, is that what 
what is going to happen? I, I put out a post talking about what's going to happen to public trust. If it turns out that ivermectin is effective and safe and the vaccines have safety risks that have been hidden from us. Here's ABC News telling you that eh, changing your DNA is a nothing burger. It's really nothing. Don't worry about it. They admit it. They just say, don't worry about it. The researchers have found indirect evidence of this in a small number of tissues taken from patients, and their study caused a huge stir in the scientific community and a lot of questions. Could these DNA changes explain certain long hauler symptoms or autoimmune disease? Could these changes increase the risk of cancer? It sounds scary, and maybe it is scary, but I think it's my... It's probably just a big nothing burger. (laughs) UC San Diego virologist Dr. Davey Smith says, hold on, we still don't have direct evidence of this happening in people. And even if it is, there's a good chance it's not a big deal. One thing is for certain, his study is prompting a whole lot more research. Derek Stahl, ABC 10 News. This next clip is Dr. David Martin. He runs the biggest financial risk assessment company in the world. And he's telling you all about the patents and all about the things that went very wrong with Corona. And it's a complete fallacy. They don't even have a sample. We took the reported gene sequence, which was reportedly isolated as a novel coronavirus, indicated as such by the ICTV, the International Committee on Taxonomy of Viruses of the World Health Organization, We took the actual genetic sequences that were reportedly novel and reviewed those against the patent records that were available um, as of the spring of 2020. And what we found, as you'll see in this report, are over 120 patented pieces of evidence to suggest that the declaration of a novel coronavirus was actually entirely a fallacy. There was no novel coronavirus. There are countless very subtle uh, modifications of coronavirus sequences that have been uploaded. But there was no single identified novel coronavirus at all, as a matter of fact, We found records in the patent records of sequences attributed to novelty going to patents that were sought as early as 1999. So not only was this not a novel anything, it's actually not only not been novel, it's it's not been novel for over two decades. On top of that, here's the China head epidemiologist in January of 2021, telling CBS that there is not a sample anywhere to be found. And of course, the person interviewing him did not even ask about that statement. It still isn't clear whether the Huanan market was the source of the virus, though outside experts believe it was a starting point for the outbreak. Where Chinese officials took samples over a year ago. And why has the data not been shared? No, they didn't isolate as a virus. That's the issue. Here's Dr. Sherry Tenpenny weighing in on the entire vaccine outlook and situation that we're in right now. It's totally experimental. 
it's um, authorized only under experimental um, emergency use. We have zero, zero long-term studies on what's going to happen down the road with this anti-spike antibody, what can happen with autoimmune diseases, with neurological conditions, with cardiovascular type of conditions. In fact, humanity right now as we speak, we are the experiment. Here's Brandon telling you that in a hurricane, you absolutely need to worry about getting a vaccination. It'll help you far more than food and water. Let me be clear. If you're in a state where hurricanes often strike, like Florida or the Gulf Coast or into Texas, a vital part of preparing for hurricane season is to get vaccinated now. Oh, of course. That makes wow. perfect sense. a nice man. That was totally worth the drive. Everything is more complicated if you're not vaccinated in a hurricane or a natural disaster hits. I'm so damn confused. <laughs> the president's an idiot. Here is the assistant deputy treasurer telling you that getting a vaccine will also help to end the supply chain issues. How can anyone say this with a straight face is beyond me. What is sitting in all these containers behind us? Everything. <laughs> Longshoreman telling me some of these containers have been sitting here for six months with a shortage of truck drivers to get the goods on the highway and into stores. It's not just making things harder to find, it's making them more expensive. Today we face an economy that's in transition. And as part of that transition, we are seeing high prices for some of the things that people have to buy. But the reality is that the only way we're going to get to a place where we work through this transition is if everyone in America and everyone around the world gets vaccinated. But the reality is that the only way we're going to get to a place where we work through this transition is if everyone in America and everyone around the world gets vaccinated. We weren't born yesterday, fella. Here's Brandon giving you his latest math equation for the vaccination numbers. This is to be delivered this summer. And some of it will come as early, begin to come in early summer, but by the mid, by the midsummer, that this vaccine will be there. And the order, and, and, and that increases the total vaccine order in the United States by 50%, from 400 million order to 600 million. This is enough vaccine to fully vaccinate 300 Americans by end of the summer, the beginning of the, of the fall. But we want to make, look, that's, I want to repeat, it'll be enough to fully vaccinate 300 Americans to beat this pandemic. This is in the federal government. Had this clip is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. telling us that the CDC is a vaccine company. Joining us now is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., chair of the board of Children's Health Defense and their senior prosecuting attorney as well. CDC is actually a vaccine company. CDC has a total budget of about $11 billion a year. So they're approving the vaccine. They're mandating for them for the public. They're buying them from these companies who they're friends with. And then they're, um, they're basically forcing million, 78 million people to take an untested product. The CDC also owns patents and, the, and then collect royalties and, in fact, Officials in those agencies who worked on the vaccines can also own part of the patent and collect royalties of up to $150,000 a year. So every bottle of Gardasil that is sold, 
HHS is making money on it. They make tens of millions of dollars a year, so you have the regulatory agency actually making money by pushing, by mandating this vaccine to people and then collecting money on it and ignoring the health effects when people are injured. CDC is actually a vaccine company. CDC is actually a vaccine company. Here's Bill Gates when he had a crystal ball in 2017 and just knew something was going to be on coming on the horizon that he would get to solve and profit off of. Please welcome Mr. Bill Gates. We also face a new threat that the next epidemic uh, has a good chance of originating on a computer screen of a terrorist intent on using genetic engineering to create a synthetic version of the smallpox virus or a contagious, contagious and highly deadly strain of flu. So the point is that we ignore the strong link between health security and international security at our peril. Whether it occurs by the quirk of nature at the hand of a terrorist, epidemiologists show through their models that a respiratory spread pathogen would kill more than 30 million people in less than a year. And there is a reasonable probability of that taking place in the years ahead. This clip was recently from the Today Show, interviewing the CDC, the head of the CDC. And here she states they don't have any data, just hope, no data. So, so here's my question. Is there hope, or better yet, data, that getting this third booster shot could actually prevent transmission? So there's actually hope. We don't have data yet. This next clip is Dr. Brian Artis revealing that remdesivir was chosen. It was actually chosen at the end of January 2020 by Fauci himself. It had never been in any uh, study other than Ebola. It was pulled because it had too many deaths. And he reveals that it was the NIH pick for COVID, although it was brand new and had never had any really serious anything. In fact, when Fauci announced this in January of 2020 without having even named COVID yet. He actually said that they didn't know if it would work, but they were going to go ahead and manufacture it anyway in hopes that it would work. I've been in the media ever since to educate you guys the current genocidal attempt and murderous attempts of Anthony Fauci, the NIH, the FDA, the CDC are all using remdesivir the same way that they used gas chambers to destroy people in Germany. This is how they're doing it and perpetuating those deaths, using a drug in hospital. Remdesivir, in six months, the safety board pulled remdesivir from the study, a one-year study, because it killed more people than any of the other three drugs. This was going to be the drug choice. Why? Because it would actually make COVID-19 look more deadly than it really was. One other disgusting thing, Anthony Fauci and our federal health agencies bought up all of the reserves and stock of this experimental drug in 2020. We didn't even let another country have it till the end of October 2020. Do you want to know why America had the most deaths during 2020 in this pandemic than any other country? We were the only country treating people with remdesivir proven to cause acute kidney failure, multiple organ failure, septic shock and hypotension, all of which are lethal. This was the great setup. So they set this up so that they can murder people, then convince you people were dying of COVID-19. They didn't die of COVID-19. They actually died from remdesivir poisoning, causing acute kidney failure. 
Here's Carrie Mullis, the inventor of the PCR test, talking about his loathing of Fauci and why. What is it, what, what is it about humanity that, that, that it wants to go to the, all the details and stuff and listen, you know, these guys like Fauci get up there and start talking, you know, he doesn't know anything really about anything. And I'd say that to his face, nothing. The man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope and if it's got a virus in there, you'll know it. He doesn't understand electron microscopy and he doesn't understand medicine. And he, doesn't, he should not be in a position like he's in. Most of those guys up there on the top are just total administrative people and they don't know anything about what's going on at the bottom. You know, those guys have got an agenda, which is not what we would like them to have, being that we pay for them to take care of our health in some way. They've got a personal kind of agenda. They make up their own rules as they go. They change them when they want to. And they smugly, like Tony Fauci, does not mind going on television in front of the people that pay his salary and lie directly into the camera. You can't expect the sheep to really respect the best and the brightest. They don't know the difference, really. I mean, I, I like humans, don't, don't get me wrong, but basically there is a, there is a, there's a vast, the vast majority of them do not possess the, the ability to judge who is and who isn't a really good scientist. I mean, that's a problem, that's a main problem actually with science, I'd say, in this century because science is being judged by people, funding is being done by people who don't understand it. Okay, who do we trust? Fauci? Fauci doesn't know enough to, you know, if Fauci wants to get on television with somebody who knows a little bit about this stuff and debate him, he could easily do it because he's been asked. I mean, I've had a lot of people, president of the University of South Carolina, ask Fauci if he'd come down there and debate me on the stage in front of the student body because I wanted somebody who was from the other side to come down there and balance my, because I felt like, well, these guys can listen to me, but I need to have somebody else down here that's going to tell me the other side. But it Fauci was didn't want to do it. Here's Kerry Mullis. By the way, he died two years ago suddenly. He was in pretty good health, too. Here he is discussing why the PCR test was never, ever, ever invented to be able to diagnose anything. How do they um, misuse PCR to estimate uh, all these so supposed free viral RNAs that may or may not be there? Uh, is um, I think misuse PCR is not quite... I don't think you can misuse PCR. No, the results, the interpretation of it. See, if you if you if you can say, if 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 they wanted, if if they could find this virus in you at all, and with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. It starts making you believe in the sort of Buddhist notion that everything is contained in everything else, right? I mean, because if you can amplify one single molecule up to a to something that you can really measure, which PCR can do then there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one single one of them in your body, okay? So that could be thought of as a misuse of it just to, to claim that it's meaningful. It doesn't tell you that you're sick and it doesn't tell you that the thing you ended up with really was going to hurt you or anything like that. That's why it's not... This clip is Fauci telling you what you won't be able to do if you don't get their vaccine. So there are things, even if you're vaccinated, that you're not going to be able to do in society. For example indoor dining, theaters, places where people congregate. 
Remember Debbie Burks? She quietly went into the sunset, didn't she? You don't see her on camera all the time anymore. But here she is talking about how they classify anything, even a heart attack, as COVID-19 in America. So they're counting all deaths as COVID if they can possibly do it. Dr. Brooks, um, can you talk about your concerns about deaths being misreported uh, by coronavirus because of either like, testing or standards for how they're characterized? So I think in this country, we've taken a very liberal approach to mortality. And I think the reporting here has been pretty straightforward over the last five to six weeks. Prior to that, when there wasn't testing in January and February, that's a very different situation um, and unknown. There are other countries that if you had a pre-existing condition, and let's say the virus caused you to go to the ICU and then have a heart or kidney problem, some countries are recording that as a heart issue or a kidney issue and not a COVID-19 death. Um, right now, we're still recording it, and we'll, I mean, the great thing about having forms that come in and a form that has the ability to mark it as COVID-19 infection, the intent is right now that those, if someone dies with COVID-19, we are counting that. This is CNN discussing how they could provide a carrot to get people to do it because people aren't seeing the danger they're right. They aren't seeing the danger. So they had to provide a carrot to get people to take the vaccine. Clear to them that the vaccine is the ticket back to pre-pandemic life. And the window to do that is really narrowing. I mean, you were mentioning, Chris, about how all these states are reopening. They're reopening at 100%. And we have a very narrow window to tie reopening policy to vaccination status. Because otherwise, if everything is reopened, then what's the carrot going to be? How are we going to incentivize people to actually get the vaccine? So that's why I think the CDC and the Biden administration needs to come out a lot bolder and say, if you're vaccinated, you can do all these things here are all these freedoms that you have because otherwise people are going to go out and enjoy these freedoms anyway I said hold up wait a minute something ain't right how are we going to incentivize people to actually get the vaccine? So that's why I think the CDC and the Biden administration needs to come out a lot bolder and say, if you're vaccinated, you can do all these things. Here are all these freedoms that you have, because otherwise people are going to go out and enjoy these freedoms anyway. Here's Bill Gates admitting that the government has to decide whether they really want to push forward with this vaccine because of all the liability they'll incur you know, liability for the deaths. COVID-19 is the seventh coronavirus to strike mankind. And we've never found a vaccine for any of them. The shortest time anybody's ever found a vaccine against any disease that I'm familiar with is about seven years. The average time is 20. To be talking about a magic bullet coming in months, it borders on the absurd. People like myself and Tony Fauci are saying 18 months. A year to a year and a half. If everything went perfectly, we could do slightly better than that. But there will be a trade-off. We'll have less safety testing than we typically would have. And so governments will have to decide, you know, do they indemnify the companies and really say, let's, let's go out with this? 
something that people should know about COVID-19 vaccines is they fall today under the PrEP Act, which came into being after 9-11 and after an anthrax scare. And this law gives virtually blanket liability protection. It's basically impossible to get any kind of compensation if you're injured. So people need to understand that if you take COVID-19 vaccines, you are absolutely on your own. Here's a respiratory therapist talking about talking about what happened when he got the shot. I'm a respiratory therapist. Uh, I've been on the front lines of the COVID-19 battle since day one up until now. Um, I am vaccine, fully vaccine. Final vaccine was May the 6th, 2021. About two weeks after that, that's when the trouble started. I now take which I never took ever before till the vaccine. Gambapitin. It's close pronunciation. I take that for neuropathy pain throughout my body in various places. Um, Ibuprofen, 800 milligrams for pain that I just can't stand. Because of the vaccine, I have a compromised immune system, uh, which that compromise caused a weakened heart. Just got out of the hospital three days ago. I was in there for eight days. Had to have my heart uh, cardioverted, which for those of you who don't mean, means they put the paddles on my heart and shocked it back into rhythm. I now take Eliquis for blood clots. $1,000. I now take Metoprol, which makes your heart contract stronger and keeps the beat regular. Uh, For the immune system, I take doxycycline, and I take cephalexin also. Both of those are antibiotics to try to keep me from catching anything that might come my way and then compromise my heart, because that's what happens. Never had that problem until after the vaccine. Never had a heart problem in my life. Never took a heart pill. So, for all you people that scream at everybody that they're unvaccinated. I take these medications for you. This one, this one, this one, this one, and that one. And that's so I can play nice in the sandbox with you people. Stay in your lane. If you haven't gotten the vaccine, stand your ground. If you got the vaccine, then just stay in your lane and shut the hell up. Don't get the stab. Don't do it. And here's Dr. Joel Walscog saying that he can't be an orthopedic surgeon anymore after the second shot. COVID vaccine without on December, on December 30th of 2020, I received the first Moderna COVID vaccine without incident initially. Approximately one week later, I recognized that my feet were numb a sensation of pins and needles. I also began having powerful electrical uh, shock sensations down my entire spine, radiating to my feet. Within days, I obtained an MRI of my cervical spine. It revealed no acute changes to account for my numbness. Move forward three or four days, I was sitting in a clinic room at work talking with a patient. I attempted just simply to stand from a sitting position. I couldn't stand. 
I pushed myself up with my arms, then quickly fell backwards. Later that day, I had MRIs of my thoracic and lumbar spine. I soon saw a neurologist, actually two to three days later, who diagnosed me with transverse myelitis, a rare condition that involves a demyelinated lesion of my thoracic spinal cord. While my neurologist recommended I take two or three months off of work, I agreed to take two weeks. After I returned, I operated on, a, on two consecutive days, although I intended shortened schedule. After the second day, I felt horrible. I was numb from my umbilicus to my feet. I could barely walk. Uh, and I've really been, I have been off work since. I'm just not safe to work as an orthopedic surgeon. My life has dramatically changed after this adverse reaction. My career of 19 years, excuse me, that I took almost 14 years to train for <clears throat> is likely over. Here's a nurse practitioner coming forward as a whistleblower. The vaccine rollout went pretty smooth at our hospital. I've never experienced an emergency use vaccine or an emergency use really anything in my lifetime. I've been pro-vaccine. I mean, my kids are vaccinated. Um, we rolled them out to, to pretty much like essential workers and that and all that first. There were many that were excited about it. And I understand we were all looking for a way out. After rolling them out then to the kind of general public, the elderly and um, in nursing homes in the area, we would get elderly in with COVID. It was kind of interesting. And it was, it was weird. It was almost like a week after they would get their first dose, they would test positive for COVID. And then we started seeing patients coming in, you know, uh, I got my vaccination and a week later they're in with pneumonia. I can say for sure in 2021, this is the year of pneumonia. Independent of COVID, I've never seen people with so many pneumonia, sepsis, and, and even in the middle of summer, you know, all summer, that's what we would get in the hospitals, pneumonia, pneumonia, pneumonia. After the vaccine rollout, I definitely noticed an uptick in heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, gastrointestinal bleeds, gastrointestinal complaints, appendicitis. Uh, we even saw pancreatitis, recurrent cancers. It was noticeably increased. We're it wasn't just me noticing it, it was everybody seemed to notice it. It became clear to me that there was something wrong. I knew nothing of VAERS, uh, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. I didn't know about our responsibility to report. It was never even talked about when these vaccines were rolled out. I mean, you'd hear it in the news here and there, but there was never this push to make sure providers were made aware that if you're getting patients in the hospital with issues, these issues, whatever, that here, here, you gotta go to this website and start reporting and start paying attention to stuff. That was never educated to us at all. And I went on the website, I looked, and the first thing I noticed was that it said, healthcare providers are required by law to report certain adverse reactions to VAERS. And I, I said, what do you mean? Like, what law? So, and then you look further, and it had a whole section on it, exactly what you're supposed to report. It's specific things you're supposed to report to VAERS after the COVID vaccine rollout. So that's when I started um, reporting patients on my own. Well, very quickly, that became a full-time job in and of itself. I would say within three weeks to a month, I had already had 50 patients reported. 
Um, and that was just of the providers that were willing to tell me about patients, recognize that there may be a problem. So I went back to my administration and I said, I need help, you know, I, like, I can't do this all myself, it's overwhelming, I'm on the phone with the CDC all the time, I'm on the phone with these patients, I need more people to know about it so they can help me and we can do the right thing. But that was met with then resistance because that's when the vaccines were really starting to get pushed. Everybody's gotta get vaccinated, this is how it's gonna go. And by me admitting that we need to report because there may be some issues, it would create vaccine hesitancy amongst the healthcare workers, amongst the staff, uh, amongst the other staff, amongst the patients. Well, that's when things changed because I, <clears throat> I, I wouldn't be quiet about it. And what I did was I put envelopes in our emergency room and told many of the providers, hey, if you get a patient that comes in and they just got their vaccine or you think something might be related in any way, go ahead and put their demographics in the envelope and then I'll take care of it and call the patient and get the report done. Thinking it was only gonna be a few reports a week, no, it turned into, like I said, a full-time job very quickly. When you roll out an emergency use product that you're gonna mass release on the population, wouldn't you assure that you have safety mechanisms in place? The first thing you would do is assure that people were educated about side effects, what to report, who to report to, before you did that, that should have been the first thing. Educate your healthcare providers who are gonna see these people in the hospital. Well then how come we didn't get educated as healthcare providers? I would imagine you often feel like this woman who was cornered in a CVS drugstore and told what she needed to do as she's saying, I'm healthy, what is wrong with you people? And how, and how I'm not saying there are, I'm not saying COVID's not real. I'm just saying I'm not sick. Well, I'm not sick and asymptomatic spread has been shown to be a myth. So why am I going to be treated like a sick person? Do you know that there have been fewer deaths overall in 2019 than there were in 2018? Look it up. Fewer deaths overall. All they've done is recategorize all the deaths. This is not what they're telling us it is. It's a lie. This is a lie. I'm telling you. It's a lie. And everyone's buying it. And it will go on and on and on as long as they feed us this lie and we comply with it. And I am done. Tonight, I reached a breaking point. I'm done. I know I'm not reaching anyone here. Everybody's unhappy. I don't care. I'm not putting that on my face. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm a healthy person. I'm not crazy. This is like psychosis. For everyone to put all this stuff on their face when they're healthy is insanity. No, I'm not risking anyone's lives because I'm healthy. How do we know that you're healthy? Do you, do you asymptomatic spread is not a thing. They've already shown there is no asymptomatic spread. There is no asymptomatic spread. I don't have symptoms. I'm fine. I'm not a carrier of disease. This is what I'm saying. They're treating us like we're diseased. You just said, how is it treating you like you're diseased? But then wearing you're telling a mask me how you is know. not an imposition to, to be careful with other people's no, health. When, it's not just the mask. This it's is the, the social distancing. It's the, the lockdowns. It's everything. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done. Here's Dr. Shiva talking about the immune system that nobody will recognize. No doctor, no nurse out there in any hospital will tell you you actually have an immune system on the inside of your body, and this is how it works. All things that they were trained in, they just won't admit since 2020. The gut instincts get something's wrong, and I think the videos we've been sharing, putting out there, are giving people the technical base to understand why. And one of those technical bases is, what is the immune system? So since we last spoke, we've put out a, a number of much more detailed videos 
on how the immune system works, but particularly using Cytosol, we've started looking at what we call mechanisms of action to further give people some knowledge and education and how these mechanisms work. So for example, we did a very powerful educational training um, event, uh, session on how vitamin D works. Foundational understanding, which is the real science, is that we live in a sea of microbes. I mean, there's 30 trillion microbes inside of me. There's 60 trillion, I mean, 30 trillion uh, viruses. There's about 60 trillion uh, uh, bacteria among my only 6 trillion cells. I'm a germ farm, okay? And around me is a germ farm, but I'm not dying. You're not dying. Most people don't die. The people that do die are the people who have a compromised immune system, have a significantly compromised immune system. Now that happens naturally as people age, the elderly, and there's things that they can do to boost up their immune system. It happens to those who don't take care of their health. It happens to those who have pre-existing conditions, and we've talked about it. In the letter I wrote to the president, I laid out you know, a very clear uh, understanding of four different of these groups, people who have COVID-19, the people who are immunosuppressed, the people who are in critical care, and the healthy people. And I proposed a way that how you, in a personalized way, support those people with vitamin D and vitamin A and vitamin C and iodine, and you get the economy back to work. There's no reason to do this quarantining and this quote unquote, flattening the curve and social distancing is the only way to solve If you still think wearing a mask is awesome, you might want to listen to Dr. Batar talk about why surgeons like himself wear masks in the first place, and they weren't meant to be worn on faces all day, every day. When a surgeon wears a mask or a nurse wears a mask, is it because they're afraid that they're going to get something? It's so that the surgeon, if he's drooling or spitting or coughing or sneezing, he doesn't sneeze or cough or spit or drool into the surgical field, into the sterile field. So we're not doing it because we're trying to protect ourselves. We're doing it so that we protect the other party. Now, what are we doing here? We're telling everybody to wear a mask, which is increasing steroid, uh, the, the cortisol levels in the body, increasing stress, decreasing the airflow, causing an increase in release in, in the viral load that's being released within our system from the cells, because remember, viruses are inside the cells. And we're doing it all under the pretense of protecting ourselves, whereas in fact, masks are designed to protect the other party. So it's the most ludicrous thing and the misinformation to tell you to wear a mask is actually creating a greater issue, uh, a greater suppression of your immune system, which would render you more susceptible to any type of opportunistic pathogen, virus, bacteria, whatever. But let's just say you still want to wear one after hearing that, because we're told that people can just spread stuff, right? And you don't have an immune system on the inside of your body. What did the WHO have to say about that? The WHO? about asymptomatic spread. Maybe. We have, it still seems to be rare that an asymptomatic person actually transmits onward to a secondary individual. This gem from the past, May of 2020, this is Dr. Redfield, head of the CDC at the time, who was quietly shoved aside for the new head of the CDC. But back in May of 2020, he stood at the steps of the press conference and announced that the flu and COVID-19, you couldn't tell the difference. COVID had been around a few months, and he said, you know, lucky for us in February, it flu just stopped, and we were able to list everything as COVID. And come this fall, we won't be able to tell the difference between the two. Oh, this is a gem. You've got to hear this. This is probably why he was relieved of his duties at the CDC. That the issue that I was talking about, about being more difficult, 
is that we're going to have two viruses circulating at the same time. This spring that we just went through, February, we had a benefit of having the flu season ended. So we could use all our flu surveillance systems to say, whoops, this is coronavirus. We need to focus. Next fall and, and, and winter, we are going to have two viruses circulating. And we're going to have to distinguish between which is flu and which is the coronavirus. And so the comment that I made, it's more difficult. Doesn't mean it's going to be more impossible. This clip with Chris Wallace recently interviewing Walensky of the CDC on national television. He asked her about the mandates, and her answer was actually quite surprising because she said that they just didn't want an outbreak of COVID-19, and that's why they had to mandate it. She didn't have any proof there was going to be one. She just said she didn't want one. This thing's been going for almost two years. I think the fear is over. Don't you? Oh, there are cases where police officers or health workers or pilots are walking off the job rather than get the vaccine. Are you still full speed ahead on mandates for essential workers to get vaccinated? We have seen that these mandates are getting more and more people vaccinated. Here's what we know. The most disruptive thing that you can do to a workforce is to have a COVID outbreak in that workforce. That will most definitely not only send people home, but it will send people to the hospital and some may pass. Chris Wallace then asks her about public health. What about public health? You realize with the amount of deaths for two solid years put together, we are still at 0.224 in the United States for deaths attributed to COVID. That's not exactly a public scare, is it? Listen to her answer right here. But what about the argument that we're talking about public health here, and we've seen some real resistance, for instance, in the Chicago Police Department, in the interest of public health on vaccinations, if you have a large part of a police force leaving, in terms of public health, aren't you further behind the ball rather than having made gains? You know, the, the way you can down a police force is by having a COVID outbreak in that police force. So what we're working to do is mitigate that from happening. Again, she's not saying anything. She's just saying, yeah, there could be a breakout somewhere. I mean, maybe it hasn't broken out yet. Cops are still alive. Hospital workers are still alive. So what is this breakout going to do and who's it going to hurt? This one that you're so afraid of. The only people that are dying are in the ICUs due to the NIH protocol. Chris Wallace then asks her about the fact that people are attending all these games and they're not getting anything. There's no spikes when people attend games with no masks on. Now, listen to her non-answer. She actually never answers him. She just says she wants people to get the shot. And then she says, well, you know, it's outside. And that's why they didn't get a shot. But hasn't she been saying you can spread it outside between healthy people this entire time? Hasn't all of the CDC been saying that? But what does it tell you that there have not been spikes in most of these communities when you have people crowded into football or baseball stadiums? We would still encourage people who are unvaccinated to wear a mask in those situations. But given that these games are outdoors, that tends to be a much safer environment. And the win for the biggest run-on sentence goes to Fauci for trying to answer why vaccinated people need to wear masks, why you all need to wear masks. 
Yeah. One of the things that's universal here that we know that at this point in time, it is unclear whether when you get vaccinated and you might be protected from clinical disease, which is the primary endpoint of the vaccine studies, that you could conceivably be infected, have virus in your nasopharynx, and at that same time have no symptoms, which is the reason why we recommend and say you still need to wear a mask. Because if you do have virus in your nasopharynx, even though we hope that when the data comes in, it's going to show that the very virus level is quite low and you're not transmitting it, we don't know that now. And for that reason, we want to make sure that people continue to wear masks despite the fact that they're vaccinated. And here's Fauci's idiotic statement about kids wearing masks and infections. By the way, did you notice that kids aren't getting infected at all? But here's his advice for the kids anyway. We don't know that for sure, but I think that's an an aspirational goal that we should go for. So if parents are vaccinated, they still do need to be concerned about their unvaccinated children playing together in groups. Is that right? Yeah, the children can clearly wind up getting infected. When the children go out into the community, you want them to continue to wear masks when they're interacting with groups from multiple households. I think people tend to forget that Fauci owns all the patents, the testing, the manufacturing, and every single part of the process of bringing a vaccine to market. Here's David Martin. In 1999... Patents on coronavirus started showing up. In 2003, the Center for Disease Control saw the possibility of a gold strike. And that was the coronavirus outbreak that happened in Asia. They saw that a virus they knew could be easily manipulated was something that was very valuable. And in 2003, they sought to patent it. And they made sure that they controlled the proprietary rights to the disease, to the virus, and to its detection and all of the measurement of it. We know that Anthony Fauci, that Ralph Barrick, that the Center for Disease Control and the laundry list of people who wanted to take credit for inventing coronavirus were at the hub of this story. From 2003 to 2018, they controlled 100% of the cash flow that built the empire around the industrial complex of coronavirus. Here again is Dr. David Martin talking about what this vaccine really, truly is, gene therapy. And the thing that's troubled me is that both Pfizer and Moderna have been promoting what they call a vaccine. Mm. Now, for those of you who don't really think about it, you have thought about it because The public thinks that when you say vaccine, one of at least two things is happening. Mm. Um, First is, whatever you're getting is going to keep you from being infected by some sort of pathogen. So that's assumption number one. Assumption number two is that somehow or another, if you get that vaccine, somehow you're doing your public health bit Mm -hmm. to make sure that you don't transmit it to other people. Yes. Right? Am I going out on a limb here? No, that's the that's word vaccine kind of means that. And, and, and let's let's go back in history a little bit, shall we? Um, let's go back to 1905 to the very, 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 very famous 
Jacobson case in Massachusetts, um, the, um, the Supreme Court, 1905, and I'm going to read the quote because I think it's important. This court has more than once recognized as a fundamental principle that persons and property are subjected to all kinds of restraints and burdens in order to secure the general comfort, health, and prosperity of a state. So, so what the Supreme Court in Jacobson said was that the police powers, the public health powers, were legitimate if they secured the general comfort, health, and prosperity of the state. Mm. That implies that the individual benefit is superseded by a collective benefit, mm -hmm. that somehow or another, the individual is not the point when it comes to public health laws. It's about the community, mm -hmm. which would then suggest that to meet a vaccine public health standard and quite frankly, a vaccine public health definition, something about either you are immune from getting a pathogen or, and potentially and, you are not going to transmit the pathogen must be part of what lives inside that definition. Yes. That couldn't be straight more straightforward than the Supreme Court of the United States 1905, which by the way, happens to be a decision that I have yet to even meet many attorneys who have bothered reading it. They talk about vaccine litigation, but I haven't heard many that can actually quote the majority opinion out of Jacobson, which is a very dangerous problem that we have. But here's where it gets more interesting. So, so when Moderna was started, and if you go back and look at their SEC filings, and we've gone through all their SEC filings, they make a point of saying that their technology is a gene therapy technology. Gene therapy technology. Mm. You'll notice that they don't say vaccination. They actually say gene, gene therapy, therapy technology. And it was set up to be a cancer treatment. So this is gene therapy chemotherapy. Hmm. Now let's just stop for a minute. Let's just ask the question. If Anthony Fauci got up and said to everybody, hey, we want you to take chemotherapy for the disease that you may or may not ever have. Who'd put the hand up for that? There wouldn't be a single person raising their hand. No. The prophylactic chemotherapy. You wouldn't be doing it. You know why you wouldn't be doing it? Because it's a dumb idea. That's why you wouldn't be doing it. And, it's and, and states wouldn't be able to mandate it. And employers wouldn't be able to mandate it. Yes. No employer would be able to mandate a chemotherapy for a disease that you don't have. Mm. That would not no be way. a legal thing to do. But they called their technology... Gene therapy technology. They made a big point of saying that this was not investigational new drugs. This was gene therapy technology. This belonged in the Center for Biologics, potentially even the CDRH, the Center for Device and Radiologic Health, because let's think about what they actually do. And by the way, this is super important. All the references are going to be in this video on the YouTube channel. And I'm going to put a bunch of the references actually in the comments section on Facebook Live so that you can go see this yourself. But what they're doing is they're putting together a synthetic fragment of nucleic acid. It's not mRNA. It's not natural. It's not even a natural component of a fragment. It's a synthetic fragment. It's a technology embedded within a fat carrier, uh, a, a peg carrier. And, and that is being introduced into the cell not to induce 
a immunity from infection with a SARS-CoV virus, and it's not to block transmission of it. It's actually to lessen symptoms associated with the S1 spike protein, not even the virus itself. Yeah. So it, it gets better and, and or worse, depending on your point of view. The fact of the matter is this thing is actually not a vaccination. Very now, cool. why would I say it's not a vaccination? People go, Dave, um, why would you say it's not a vaccination? Well, let's look at the legal standard for what a vaccination is. And let's start with the Center for Disease Control's own definitions. Why not start with the people who run the racket? Two important operative definitions. Immunity is protection from an infectious disease. Protection from an infectious disease. If you are immune to a disease, you can be exposed to it without becoming infected. Now, by definition, neither Pfizer nor Moderna even claims that to be the case. This is why people are chanting this every single time they get together now all over the country. Brandon, you also told me, as you can hear the chants from the, the crowd, let's go, Brandon. And this is also why people like the airline pilots, they're all southwesting, and they are fighting all over the country. The biggest strike in history is going on right now against the force of a mandate to end body autonomy. They have 300 more shots in the works right now. This brilliant statement from this airline pilot is amazing. And I hope we all feel this way. I've been an airline pilot for 18 years and now I'm facing an ultimatum. Not a choice, but an ultimatum. I'm being told in order to continue my career as an airline pilot, I must be vaccinated. Which really means I have to choose between putting food on the table for my family and my freedom of choice. Whether you believe in vaccination is the right thing to do or not, the situation goes far beyond health. We, the American people, have fought for freedom for 257 years. We go around the world spreading ideas of freedom and democracy. We help other countries and people fight for their freedoms while ours are being stripped away. You may think being forced to wear a mask or get a vaccination is insignificant, but when you begin to compile mandate after mandate and loss of freedom after freedom, it becomes very significant. As each thing is taken away, we face what is known as the shifting baseline syndrome. This syndrome changes our idea of a new and acceptable normal. Soon, we will not remember what it was like to have the freedoms we once did. Our children and our grandchildren will experience less freedom, and they won't have the privilege or the pleasure to enjoy the same choices our parents had or that we have. If we give into these mandates and we do not stand up for our freedom of choice, we dishonor every armed service person over the last 257 years. A disservice to the people who have fought and bled for the very freedoms we enjoy. Whether you believe in vaccination or not, I'm standing up for your freedom of choice.